As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The waiting is over. The New York Rangers are the Stanley Cup champions, and this one will last a lifetime. Howdy everyone, Arthur Staple here. Welcome back to the Garden Faithful, your Rangers podcast from The Athletic. Just want to let you know before we get started, if you're enjoying the show so far, please follow us on your favorite podcast platform and leave a five-star rating and a review. It really helps us grow the show. We'll start off today uh, with a little recap of the first week back. Last time we talked, we really hadn't seen any hockey yet, so um, Rangers played three games. They're on another little mini break right now. 2-0-1-1, which you'll take in every three-game stretch. Not exactly the uh, the prettiest hockey in any of those three games. Um, kind of working backwards, you'd probably say the best game they played was the one in Ottawa, two one win over the Senators. That um, you know looked like a very workmanlike effort from a good team. They uh, gave up the first goal again inside the first five minutes, which has happened in all three of these games. We'll get to a little bit of an examination of some of those slow starts. Although this one didn't really feel like a slow start, uh, just a, a bad turnover. Uh, Keandre Miller kind of caught up ice and Tim Stutzla with a nice shot past Igor Shesterkin. But really the rest of the game, the Rangers took the lead, held on to it. Um, Artemi Panarin had the go-ahead goal on the power play. Third period, they they bent a little bit, didn't break. It's really the formula that you see a lot of good teams put together. And it's certainly not as exciting as it usually has been with these Rangers where they want to make it 4-1-5-1 uh, and everybody's gunning for some goals. Uh, sometimes you just have to play it simple, and they really didn't have a, a ton going offensively uh, kind of in the back half of that game. So it became a very simple game, get the puck out, get it in deep, get off the ice. And um, 
Yeah, it's uh, it's a it's a tried and true formula for for teams, especially when you get uh, into this stretch January February when you're just trying to get through the games and uh, produced another win. Just uh, you know, I think maybe the most exciting thing that happened was a goal that didn't happen, which was Igor Shosturkin's shot for the empty net uh, after the Senators pulled their goalie. We'll talk more about Igor in our second segment, but that. Um, Kevin Rooney was talking about that earlier today, that uh, he had just gotten to the bench after finishing his shift, and it was quiet on the bench, and then it suddenly got really loud, and he kind of was like, what's going on? And it just, uh, I think everybody thought it was going in, but um, a near near miss, but uh, more importantly, the Rangers got that win. The previous two games at the Garden, the Bruins and the Red Wings, uh, both went to shootouts. Rangers won one, lost the other to to Detroit. Um, You know, a couple of third-period goals in each to, to come back and tie it get it to the extra session and to the shootout. Um, it's really just all about points. And, you know, that Bruins game on Tuesday after the two-week layoff, you probably knew it was going to be kind of a dud. Um, not a lot of guys in sync. They had plenty of practices, but not a lot of not, no games for a long time. And you know there's going to be some rust. Uh, and it certainly showed. And the Bruins were ready to play a, a very defense-style first game. They were missing a couple of key guys in Brad Marchand and, and Patrice Bergeron. So that was probably the best result you could have hoped for. Um, again, we'll talk more about Shostakin and, and Alexander Georgiev. Shostakin was kind of the star of the show there, um, getting a hard bump from Craig Smith uh, in overtime. Concussion spotter pulled him. He was not happy about it, smashed a stick on the boards as he went to the locker room at the Garden, and then came back out as the shootout was about to start, jumped right in, gave up a couple early. Uh, the Rangers equalized both times and then shut the door all the way till I believe it was round nine and, and Keandre Miller winning it with a nice move. And then against Detroit, uh, six round shootout that they lost and another late goal in the third period to, uh, to tie this one for Mika Zibanejad. Um, not a great game. And I think, you know, that was, that game was where the problem, the slow starts really started to kind of come to a head. You'd seen a couple of other ones. Um, they didn't start great against Seattle before the break. Uh, Florida, they were on their heels. Obviously, Florida's been a lights-out team this season. But Boston and Detroit are probably two teams the Rangers should be able to beat at home. Um, and just not getting off uh, getting off the right foot. Gerard Gallant had said uh, a couple days after that Detroit game that it's it's really, you know, starting game slow is entirely mental. You, you just, you're not prepared. Uh, it's not necessarily on the coaches or the players. There's just a little bit of a disconnect to, to get moving and suddenly it snowballs as you go shift after shift and the other team maybe realizes that uh, you're catching you're catching your opponent off guard and you can kind of take advantage. The Bruins did with an early goal, kind of a, a, a funny bounce goal by Charlie Coyle. And Detroit did too with an early goal. Um, that was also a, a bit of a, you know, an odd bounce. Um, but uh, but the, the fact the Rangers were able to get three points out of those two games, even with those slow starts and how they've been able to, to accumulate points this season, even when they're not playing their best. Um, it's, it's a theme we've, we've beaten into the ground so far at how this team has flaws. They rely on their goalie too much. They give up way too many chances, although those have been down these last few games and yet they still are where they are, you know, very firmly in a playoff spot competing probably for, for home ice in the first, in the first round. And we'll see that, uh, some of those head-to-head matchups, those four-point games that are going to there's going to be a lot of them down the stretch. Uh, Washington comes to the Garden on Thursday. The Rangers go to Pittsburgh and face the Penguins for the first time this season on Saturday. Um, so we'll, those games will, will kind of show where the Rangers are. A little bit more knuckling down, a little bit tighter checking, you know. And again, talking to you know Kevin Rooney in our media session 
after practice today. Um, those are the kind of games that uh, that the Rangers want to be in because those are the kind of games you see in the playoffs, and uh, they seem to be warming to the idea of of being a defense first team at times. You know, they have so much firepower at the high end, so many guys that can hurt you, but but ultimately you can't have those guys on the ice for forty minutes a night, and you can't have ten power plays. And certainly when you get in the playoffs, it looks a lot like it's looked this week, where the Rangers, I believe, have had four or five power plays total in these three games. And they're still lights out when they get them, but uh, but if they're going to be few and far between, you have to be a much tougher team to play against five on five. To that end, uh, Gerard Gallant shuffling the deck again today in practice with his forward lines. Dryden Hunt back up with Artemi Panarin and Ryan Strom. Barkley Goodrow down to what you'd call the fourth line with Rooney and Ryan Reeves, but really that fourth line plays more than the third line uh, at five on five. So you know, call it what you will, but that's uh, that's where Goodrow is, and then. Philip Hedl, Julian Gauthier, Morgan Barron, Greg McKegg, uh, some combination of those four, probably uh, McKegg on the outside, uh, I think coming up. You gotta, may want to give Morgan Barron a look uh, with that third line that's been kind of a black hole all season long. And again, uh, my, my good friend Chris Flannery will come on later and we'll, we'll break down all of the breakdowns of that uh, that third line and uh, and see what the options are either internally or externally to make it better because when you see Gallant making all these moves, you know he's keeping Alexis Laf- Alexi Lafreniere with Chris Kreider and Mika Zibanejad at that top line. I didn't think Lafreniere had a great game in Ottawa, but they were simple enough and good enough, and and that's what you're doing. You're scoring enough to win games sometimes, and that top line has been pretty good. And I think against Detroit, Lafreniere might have played his best game of the season, even though he didn't produce anything. A lot of good passes, a lot of jump, a lot of physicality to his game. That's what you want to see. Um, and when when he's tinkering with those other three lines in the absence of Capo Caco, uh, you're really looking to justify putting out that third line in key moments. You know they're they're going to play their seven, eight, nine minutes, and if they play well, maybe they get more, and you can take a little bit of the pressure off those top two lines. And Heedle did have a good game against Boston. He scored the only goal in regulation. Um, but, you know, that that line has just not whoever's been on it, usually Heedle in the middle, usually Gautier on the wing, whoever else on the side, whether it's been Lafreniere, they were they had a decent stretch earlier in the year. It's been Hunt sometimes, not so great. Uh, now it might be Barron or McKegg. Um, there just doesn't seem to be enough there to to justify using it much. And uh and that's another kind of playoff hallmark. You got to have four lines. You know, you're going to be facing a team in the first round, whether it's Pittsburgh, who, you know, might be a decent matchup for the Rangers. You might see Washington if they can push a little bit further ahead. And Washington is a little bit more similar to them. But, but you know, Washington has, has a pretty tough fourth line uh, with Garnet Hathaway, Chris Kreider's old high school friend. Um, and Pittsburgh's bottom six always seems to be able to produce. So you got to have guys that you can bring out and, uh, and be able to work in the mix, be consistent, roll four lines when you can. Have got have every forward that plays more than ten minutes in regulation, because um, most of the game is going to be played five on five. So uh, I, I think the Rangers are kind of learning this week, uh, and now with some, like I said, some some important Metro Division games coming up that uh, they've got to have a little bit better rounded top 12 to be able to, to compete and win games and it's not going to look pretty but uh, you, you got to look at the final result most of all looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So now we'll talk about Igor Shosturkin, which we could spend the whole show and several shows on talking about what kind of season he's having. To me, uh, I am a PHW Professional Hockey Writers Association longtime member. Long-time awards voter. We do not vote on the Vezina Trophy. Um, I believe that's the league general managers or broadcasters. General managers, I believe, do, do the Vezina. Broadcasters do the Jack Adams. Um, for me, he's the front runner for the Vezina this year. There's been some other really good uh, underlying numbers, goals saved above expectation, things that are calculations that maybe not be uh, so obvious and so apparent, you know, things that you, you don't see on the main stats page anywhere. But uh, Igor Shesterkin has led the league in goals saved above expectation, goals saved above the median goalie in the league uh, all season long. It's been, he's been very consistent. And, um, you know, it, it, I think the stat that, that kind of jumped out off of the, the Ottawa win was that was his, uh, Shesterkin's 50th win in uh, his 79th game. Henrik Lundqvist got to 50 wins in 91 games. Arguably, uh, the Rangers' results this year have been better than I think they were in Lundqvist's first couple of years, even though the Rangers were a playoff team those years. They weren't quite at the level they became year, you know, in the few years after that. But uh, it's a promising start for Shesterk into his career, and, and to think that even though the bulk of those games have come this season when they've had a lot of success, um, some of them came the last couple of years when they had very little success. So he's he's been... He's been able to to win games even when the team hasn't been as good as it's been now. He's certainly at a different level than he was the last couple of years and really carried this team to every almost everything that they've done this year. Um, you know, obviously their their big scorers have contributed a lot and and they're you know, some of the guys that they brought in as free agents have contributed a lot, some of the kids on defense. But uh but I think if you asked any guy in the Ranger room who's the MVP so far this year, it's a pretty obvious choice that it's their goalie. Um Certainly, those two defining incidents of this past week, one which could have been super scary when he got bumped by Craig Smith, um, played a little bit more of that overtime, and then at a stoppage, the concussion spotter sent out Rangers trainer Jim Ramsey, who looked like uh, a uh, a very frustrated parent sending sending his kid to the to his room to go to bed or something. Uh, I think any parent could have related to what Rammer was going through trying to get Shesterkin to go off the ice. Go into the into the locker room to take the the neuros exam to make sure that he passed it and could get back into the game. But it, over you know it was only forty seconds left in overtime, so you figured okay they'll play it safe. It's their most important guy. They're not going to rush him back. He whipped through the test apparently, and while Georgiev was getting ready for the first shot of the shootout against the Bruins, here comes Shesterkin to the raucous cheers the Garden crowd. Got himself set, got in, looked a little unsure of himself, giving up a couple goals early in that shootout. Um, 
but the Rangers managed to, to equalize and then um, he shut the door and he makes the saves look so easy. You know, the shootout is, is such a unique situation. It really is, you know, it's, it's certainly fun to watch with the, the, the shooters, the Rangers have the skill that they have, but he, uh, Shesterkin makes it look so easy when he's making those saves. He's got his glove wow. way out in front of him. He's not looking to make any, you know, make any of the big spectacular windmill saves or anything like that. He's just keeping everything in front of him, staying low, not giving anyone anything to shoot at. And uh, once you started to get past the first couple of Bruins who were, you know, more of their elite scorers, you just saw a bunch of guys that had no idea what they, what they were going to do and, and were already, you know, kind of mentally psyched out by, uh, by Shesterkin and the other net. It's certainly a throwback to Lundqvist. Uh, some of the best goalies in the league, whether it's on breakaways or shootouts, if you know who you're facing um, and you start to get inside your own head, it, it's over before it even starts. So um, that was a big moment. And, uh, you know, I think he he really, uh, you know, it was such an uplifting moment, too, I think, for the team that uh, it couldn't help but, but kind of go on and get the second point there in that shootout. Uh, and then the, the play on uh, – on Sunday against the Senators, where he tried to score a goal, you know, I think um, we got a little a little preview of that on Thursday against Detroit when, uh, in overtime, he caught a, a save. And in the middle of the action, three on three, put it down and from one knee shot a puck about half the length of the ice in stride to Artemi Panarin for almost a breakaway in overtime, even though I think Panarin was at the end of his shift and ended up getting caught by Dylan Larkin. Um, this is a guy who, you know, I, I think... If you watch the games closely and watch them consistently enough, he plays the puck so well. He's not Marty Brodeur. He's not gonna he's not gonna range around and, and kind of put himself at risk, but but when he has a chance to play the puck, he he knows how to, where it's going and he knows what he wants to do with it. And certainly when he's saving himself for when the net is empty, like he did in Ottawa, um, I think he really thought that one was going in. You saw Greg McKegg, I think was kind of the, the ranger that was furthest up the ice. He started to put his hands up when it when the puck landed. It looked like it was going dead center, and then it just kinda had a little English on it and, and ended up missing the post by about four inches. And um, you could see through Shesterkin's mask on the TV that uh, he had a little little smile on his face that, that giving that giving it that try. And, and everybody was uh, was definitely excited to see it and uh, hoped that it would go in. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I don't know that he's he's the sort of puck handling goalie where, where teams are starting to alter their dump ins. You know, it's the, the trapezoid definitely limits that. And certainly, uh, the way teams forecheck now, you, you tend not to see a lot of goalies go out and, and, you know, as long as the communication is good, sometimes those goalie touches can lead to some some awkward situations or, or bad handoffs. The Rangers do have a very young defense. Um, so I don't think Shesterkin goes too crazy with the puck handling, but he definitely seems to pick his moments. And, uh, you know, kind of hearkening back, as I did in the in my story uh, on Monday about uh, – there was a the a, a Ranger goalie has been credited with a goal for one week in a season. It was in uh, 1987. Uh, Bob Froze, former Flyer, who happened to be also on that list uh, of goalies who got to 50 wins faster than 79 games. I think it was 78 for Bob Froze when he was a Flyer. Came over to the Rangers and and backed up uh, John Van Beesburg for a couple of years. He was a net against the Islanders at the Garden. Uh, puck seemed to hit off uh, a shot. Dennis Potman shot seemed to hit his pad as the Islanders uh, were working with a delayed penalty. And Brent Sutter turned to send a puck back uh, back to the point, went straight down into the Islanders' net. The goal was given to Froze at the time, and then a week later there was a review. They realized that the puck hit the outside of the post and not his pad. 
And uh, I think Froze's quote at the time was, well, I had no secret desire to score a goal, so it's fine that it didn't go to me. Um, it went to Rangers defenseman David Shaw, in fact. And uh, Shesterkin, not so secret desire to score a goal. He clearly wants one. So, uh, you know, I, I think he's going to get one the way that he plays and the, and the confidence that he plays with. Um, I think people tend to forget how well he handles the puck or they're, you know, at the end of a game. You know, I think I think in the days of Brodeur and Ron Hextall, everybody knew that those guys were gunning for the net because they love to handle the puck so much. This is a guy who makes a ton of saves and and doesn't do anything terribly flashy. So uh, I think somebody's going to let their guard down and give them too much space one of these days soon. I also want to mention about Georgiev, who came in for those 40 seconds. Um, He's going to get one of the games this weekend. The Rangers are in Pittsburgh on Saturday afternoon on a nationally televised game and then home against Vancouver. You'd guess it would be the Vancouver game. Uh, but you never know with Gallant. Um, it'll be his first start since uh, January 27th. So we're talking almost a, a full calendar month. Obviously, everybody was on the Rangers was off for two weeks. So, um, you know, it, it doesn't seem quite as like he's been singled out. But I think that situation with the Bruins, the cheers for Shesterkin coming in, um, the fact that he didn't get the start in Ottawa on Sunday, although that was kind of an iffy spot that had two days off before, they have these three days off now until their next game. I don't think you want Shesterkin to wait a week. But there were just little things that can highlight what the situation is with Georgiev, which is he's strictly the guy that goes in on the back-to-backs barring an injury or, or Shesterkin having a run of bad games as we go down the stretch. It's it's very clear who's number one and who's number two right now. Um, the trade deadline is a month away. You know, I, I would imagine that it's kind of a catch-22 for Chris Jury that um, – he might be willing to unload Georgia for the right price, but if you're not going to play him because you're trying to make the playoffs and get good, get a good playoff position, um, you're not going to have a chance to show more teams that this guy's in the right headspace that someone's going to want to give up a decently high pick or a decent asset for him. So uh, the time to get something for Alexander Georgiev is probably between now and the trade deadline. If it goes into the summer and you get towards the draft and everybody knows that the Rangers don't want him, um, it's really going to be more of a kind of send him away for nothing. So you can make sure that when free agency comes, you're bringing in a guy as a backup that, you know, can handle it. Um, So it's kind of an odd situation right now for Georgiev. I think he knows this is it for him, Um, but he can't really go anywhere else right now because nobody really has enough of a book on him to want to commit. So um, tough spot for him. And we'll have to see if he's able to do the job in what's, sure to be very limited duty um there's really only, i think there's only three back-to-backs the rest of the season it's a very condensed schedule and you'd think a lot would want to get him into some other games benny allaire the rangers venerated goaltending coach uh, certainly will be advising gallant that that georgiev should get more than three games as we go down the stretch here but we'll have to see how it works um and it's again it's a tough spot and i think uh I'm sure his Ranger teammates feel understand it's a tough spot. Everybody understands it's a tough spot, but it's just Durkin's net, and he's certainly doing the most with it. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right. For our final segment, as we have the last couple of weeks, we're going to bring in Chris Flannery, 
our Garden of Faithful producer, Super Ranger fan, Chris. Welcome back. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Good to, good to have you here, as always. I always have you in my ears, but now everybody can listen. Um, I mentioned briefly the third line uh, and the black hole that it's been this season with uh, Filipino, I think, on five goals. Julian Gochia hasn't scored a goal and probably – maybe one goal in the last two or three months. Dryden Hunt, who's been there, has also hasn't scored a goal in a couple of months. Sounds like either Morgan Barron or Greg McKegg will be there. Uh, you know this organization inside and out, even some of the prospects. Is there any sh- anybody that they haven't tried or anybody that you'd like them to try to kind of make this third line a really viable line? Uh, it's a, it, You know, it's a tough question. I mean, I think we were kind of talking about it a little bit before we started recording. I think if there was a clear internal solution. They probably would have tried that um, at this point. I think, you know, we've discussed the fact that Capo Caco being out really um, messes things up, even though he, you know, wasn't necessarily scoring a ton, but he really solidifies the top six eats a lot of minutes. um, Isn't going to hurt you defensively. He's really improved on that side of the puck. So when he's playing in the top six, then you can kind of slide guys down into, um, you know, more suitable roles. I mean, the only, name really that kind of jumps out to me from Hartford that maybe you would try is like a Lori Pujaniemi, but I, you know, I, you know, that, that's a, that's a gamble. I mean, it doesn't seem like that's somebody that's really going to come in and, and definitely, um, you know, fill a spot there. So, you know, yeah, I think you're, I think we're going to get into it in a little bit, but I think you're going to have to look outside um, to add to the bottom six or the top six to be able to slide people down into the bottom six and kind of, you know, put people in their right spot. But, it, you know, just to to the point, though, about Heedle, you know, he shows flashes. I think um, I think confidence is a big issue with him. I think, when, you know, you can see it once he gets a good shot on goal or a near miss or something. Once he's around the net, he gets a little bit more, um, you know, confidence. And I think he, he has a, a more solid game that way. I think those games are kind of few and far between. And then you look at Julian Gauthier, it, he's a very frustrating one to watch because the size and the speed – you think that guy should be able to score and he gets chances, um, but he just can't put one in. And I think, you know, uh, the experiment seems to be, um, you know, maybe coming to an end. Uh, certainly by the end of the season, you think he probably would be replaced and, and you would think they're going to look for somebody at the deadline for sure. Yeah, that's I mean, you can you can certainly say that about Heedle and you're right. But I think when Alexis Lafreniere was his pretty regular winger. Uh, I don't think his confidence was lacking quite as much. You know, right. I don't want to. I don't want to dump too much on on Hunt and Gautier, but those aren't guys that are going to generate a lot for a playmaker like Heedle. Even if he makes a good play, it's going to die somewhere on the wings because those guys just don't have the skill to to finish them off. And he's Heedle's not a guy who can create for himself. You know, he's. I don't think he's that kind of player. And that doesn't mean he's not a top nine NHL player. He just can't fly solo. So. Um, yeah. I think it's uh I think it's a difficult spot for a young guy like him because he's not more of a rugged checking guy who could maybe be a fourth liner um and he's certainly not a guy who is going to just plug away with a couple and a couple of you know slightly above and you know AHL NHL tweeners who have gotten a lot of games and Hunt and Gautier. Right. Um it's just it's a hard go for him and so you know to me uh if this is going to be your lineup going forward, at least the, the kind of the focus of it, and we can switch gears now because I agree. I you know I'd like to see Morgan Barron because he's kind of really the guy that that I think has the has the skills that could fit in that bottom six. But again, I don't think he's a guy where Philip Heedle is just 
is really a different level of skill player than than Barron. And uh, I don't know that they the Rangers really have anybody that's available to them right now that can keep up or kind of, you know, generate a whole lot with Heedle just because they just don't have that much skill depth up on the wings. So um, when we're looking at trade options, you know, you and I were talking, I've written it more times than I care to mention with a month, a month to go until the, <laughs> until the deadline. The real decision, I think, uh, and they do have, you know, I say this as it's, it's the you know, column A or column B. It could be both. They could add a top six winger, whether it, or someone to fill in that top six spot. JT Miller is obviously a name uh, that I've written about a lot, that there's been some some smoke around. Um, Tomas Hurdle is a guy who, you know, cost-wise might not fit the best in terms of what they need to tr- give up to get him and then what he's going to cost going forward. Right. beyond the season when he's a UFA, but certainly he'd fit right now in that top six. So do you find someone to fill that role and then you bump down a Kako when he's healthy or a Lafreniere or a Goodrow who's now down in the bottom six, probably for next game, but do you bump one of your younger guys down to make a better third line or do you go out and get a third liner? Because there's a lot of third line talent out there that you could get. You, you know, Vlad Nemesnikov in Detroit Callie Yonkroak in Seattle, Chris Tierney in Ottawa. These are all guys that have filled that third line role for a long time and done it to varying degrees pretty well, I think. Um, all of them don't cost a ton. You know, they're, you're basically getting a rental version of Barkley Goodrow with right. one of those guys. You don't have to give up a first round pick. You don't have to give up a good prospect. Um, and they're better than what you've got. So, uh, you know, I think in an ideal world, you do both. You get a you get a good top six guy, and then you get a, a a decent bottom six guy. Because even as constituted right now, your bottom six just isn't good enough and not generating enough, and maybe not even not even a group that's going to be tough enough to defensively to deter people in a seven game series or a couple of seven game series. You know, I think I love you know Ryan Reeves. Everybody loves what he's brought in terms of you know making everybody feel an inch taller. But is he a guy who can keep up? playoff round after playoff round i'm not sure so you know if you had to if you had to choose top six bump somebody down or third line and keep everybody where they are if that's the choice what do you choose look i mean it all depends on price i mean you you bring up jt miller i think that's the you know the obvious solution to all of this you know that's a guy that's really versatile he can win face-offs he can play on the wing he already knows what it's like to to be a ranger he can grind he can score like he you know that's that's that guy fits a lot of the, you know, the issues that they're having to me, if you can do that and it makes sense, maybe Vancouver even eat some salary potentially to help, you know, keep Strom in the lineup, uh, you know, into next season or, um, however that's going to work out. I think you try to do that. I think JT Miller makes a lot of sense there and you bump someone down. As you mentioned, Heedle, uh, Lafreniere and Kako was a really, um, you know, I mean, that was a pretty solid line. They, they were at least, Take, um, you know, eating some minutes, even if they weren't scoring necessarily every night, but they really looked like they were able to get the puck into the offensive zone and, and hang on to it for a bit. I think that's really the problem when you look, um, you know, at the bottom six, like you're saying, Ryan Reeves. You know, I think when, again, without that third line, I think you have people being put into positions where they wouldn't normally be. During that stretch earlier in the season where they won seven games in a row, eight games in a row, whatever it was, they really were rolling. And that was where the third line was, you know, that kind of kid line that got put together. They really were rolling all four lines and it looks so much better when that's happening. Um, to me, I think you got to try to make a move for a top six. Um, they probably will 
try to add someone to the bottom six as well, because like you mentioned, there's some names out there that can probably be had for, you know, not, uh, not too high a draft pick or maybe just a, you know, a swap of players. But, um, to me, the, the, the move has to be adding to that top six and then potentially putting a Lafreniere or a Kako on a line with a heedle, giving them an opportunity to play against, um, you know, maybe a third, a third pair defense and give them an opportunity to go out and try to score and then throw your top six back out. So I think that's probably the move, but I, I think you have to, you have to try to add um, some bottom six depth as well. Yeah. It's, you know, Cal Clutterbuck's name has come up uh, in, in the media. I probably brought it up myself a couple of times. It's, it's a long shot a and B unless you're bringing the two line mates that have made that Islanders fourth line so successful for the last couple of years along and maybe, uh, go back in the in the way back machine a few years before all these guys you know turned got to their mid thirties. Then maybe you're talking, but I don't I don't know that that uh, Clutterbuck is necessarily the answer, and also it would be such a such a difficult deal to 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 make, not just from an Islanders Ranger standpoint, which is certainly a factor, but this is a guy in Clutterbuck who's been an Islander for almost a decade. He's probably one of the guys that hates the Rangers the most. I'm sure the Rangers hate him. It feels like a lot to adjust to in a, in a in a trade deadline scenario. So there's probably other guys like that. And I think really um, you need some skill. You need some skill on those wings. Um, you know, again, I don't want to sewer hunt and Gautier too much or Greg McCagger, these guys that, you know, they're, they've played regular roles on a winning team. There's, there's something to be said for that. Um, but putting Dryden hunt back up on the second line as Gallant did today feels like a, Let's do something here, you know, and yeah. not and not just, you know, he's changed the line so much this year for lots of different reasons, injury, COVID, the whole deal. Um, but really the main focus is even if Capo Caco is back and he takes his spot with, with Zibanejad and Lafreniere is maybe with Strom or maybe with Heedle, you still have a hole to fill in that top six, top nine, and uh, and probably two holes to fill because you don't really, you know, like you said, Dryden Hunt and Julian Gauthier have been nice players, nice fill-ins, but they are fill-ins. And um, yeah. whether it's a JT Miller on the in the top six and then somebody moves down or, you know, like I said, Yarkok, Nemesnikov, there's probably four or five other names I could come up with if I, you know, Arturi Lekin, and I think his name, uh, the Rangers have had some conversations with the Canadians about him. He's a guy who's kind of an ideal third liner. Um, you know, there, there's people out there. And I think the last bit I'll say, and you can either back me up or disagree. I certainly see a lot of comments on my stories and chatter online about why would the Rangers go for it this year? Um, you know, they're maybe not considered to be a favorite in the East right now. You see Florida, you see Tampa, Toronto, Carolina. Um, do they measure up with those teams? We don't really know, but of all of those teams, does anyone have a better goalie? And is that, and that no is the answer right now. And is, you know, what's the thing that you need the most to make a long playoff run goaltending? You need some other things too, but really that's the main one. So I don't know that you want to give up on a season or say, yeah, maybe we'll do it next year when a goalie is playing as well as Shesterkin's playing. And this is when they have the space and this is when they have the, the majority of their assets ready to mature. You, you know, you don't want to just hand away a Nils Lundqvist, and it certainly seems like he's the odd man out, as we discussed last time. Uh, you don't want to hand away a Vitaly Kravtsov, even with all the nonsense that's gone on between him and the team the last couple of years. 
Um, so you're not just giving people away and you want to be strategic about it. But if you can get a guy with a little bit of term, like a Miller who can fit in if things go south with Strom, all that other stuff, um, you can you can also rent uh, you know a, a depth defenseman to kind of shore things up if Patrick Nemeth doesn't doesn't play well enough. Um, it gives you a lot of options, and suddenly, if you add two or three guys to this group that's going pretty well, then maybe you do have a team that's good enough to compete for a Stanley Cup. And I, and you you're not you're not throwing assets away if you're trading Nils Lundqvist in your first round pick. You're you're trading a guy for something that's going to help you. And you have a guy in Lundqvist who is not going to help you. There's no room for this guy right now. And you've and like I said, when you have not just when you have prospects, but prospects that are ready to be NHLers, and you have too many of them, you might miss your window to to get something good for them. And this feels like the window for them. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think you know, of course, the Rangers. We've seen it happen with the Rangers before, where they you know they mortgage the future for what's happening right now and it doesn't play out. And then, you know, you go through a few, you know, years we have to restock and there, you know, there's a lot of issues. I I agree. I think they're, you know, they're three, three, four pieces away from really being able to contend. And I think, uh, I, I think you can add two or three pieces this year if you have to, I mean, I'm, I'm including, you know, a back, like a, a, a more steady backup goalie or somebody that, you know, is, is, is more comfortable in that role as like the fourth piece they probably have to add. But like we, we said, I mean, they have the pieces to add a top six forward. They can definitely add a bottom six forward and, you know, you'd have to see potentially what goes on with that third pair, uh, you know, or second pair, you know, left defenseman. I thought Nemeth came in and looked, um, you know, he had a quiet game. I think when he came in and played against played with Schneider, it wasn't uh, a perfect, um, return to the lineup, but he looked Pretty good. I mean, I don't know if you that's who you definitely want to go into, you know, a seven game series with on your on your third pair, but he looked fine. Um but yeah, I I agree. I think you have to understand the situation that you um Shesterkin is is at the top of his game right now. You have an Artemi Panarin who's who could really be a, a you know, a hard trophy candidate every year. Zabanajad's on fire right now, Kreider's having a career season. Now's the time to strike. Goudreau's having a, you know, a, a, a stronger season offensively. I think that people uh, thought he could. And he's just been a kind of a jack of all trades on the team. I, I think you have the pieces in place. Fox is going to, you know, have a phenomenal season again. Troop is playing great. You're not that far away. It's not a, a situation where you don't have, you know, these kind of elite pieces in place, and you're just trying to scramble to add them and and hope to win a round. I mean, I think if you add the pieces that we're talking about um this team really could could do some damage especially because they have without a doubt the best goalie in the world right now and you know we've seen it before we've seen it with Lundqvist he's carried them through so many series through so many um you know battles over the years Shesterkin's at that level right now so you have to you got to strike while the iron's hot and I, you know who knows what happens but I, I don't look at it as um it's a calculated risk it's not just a gamble where they're gonna you know, throw prospects and picks around and, and hope for the best. I think there's targets here. I think there's places where they know they can fill in. And if they do that and things gel going into the playoffs, you never know. Yep. Yeah. I agree. I mean, we've had five years, four plus years of, we do know what's going to happen to this team and it hasn't been good. So why not take the, you never know shot this year. So yep. thank you, my friend. Good stuff from you, Chris. Hey, thank you. And thanks, everyone, for listening to The Garden Faithful. You can subscribe to The Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts to get all the bonus content from our entire network. Start with a 30-day free trial, and it's just 99 cents a month after that. And right now, you can subscribe to The Athletic for $1 a month for six months when you 
theathletic.com slash TGF. I'm Arthur Staple. This is the Garden of Faithful. We'll catch you again next week. <laughs>